Hello friends, Tom here. From wherever you are tuning in, just wanna welcome you. We are now in week seven in our series entitled Teach Us to Pray. And what we've been doing throughout this series is we've been going through Jesus's incredible teaching on prayer uh, through uh, Matthew chapter six and in Matthew chapter 11. It's, it's what's known as the Lord's Prayer. And, and it really has been, from my perspective, uh, an inspiring series, an enlightening series, and hopefully um, you, you feel like a, a stronger kind of maybe a desire to engage with God as Father in prayer. Now, this is going to be our, our final message in this series. We're wrapping up this series today. Now, just to kind of let you know where we're headed. Next week, we're going to start a series, a brand new series, uh, coincidentally enough, entitled Teach Us to Fast. And we're going to be going through this series, and it's really going to be all about um, the rewards of biblical fasting. Okay? Now, we're not just talking about the idea of like, there, there are obviously like, like uh, physical health benefits to fasting. We're going to cover that a little bit. That's an important part of fasting. But we're really going to be honing in on, on, on the biblical rewards of fasting. Now, why are we doing this? Why are we going to start a new series learning about fasting? Well, <clears throat> in the scriptures, fasting is... It is connected to prayer every single time you see it. Prayer and fasting go hand in hand in the Bible, okay? And, and, and listen to me. This is important. Fasting, it just might be the most powerful and beneficial spiritual discipline that we have as the children of God, okay? Fasting is profound. Um, and from my experience, it's really misunderstood, even in the church. So we're going to spend several weeks... Uh, going through to say, how do we fast? What does a biblical fast look like? What are the rewards of fasting? That's what this series that we're heading into is going to look like. Now, let me say this as well. You don't need me to tell you this. There is so much turmoil going on around us. 2020 has been seemingly the year that has been canceled, okay? It is the year of injustice. It is the year of things going up in flames. It is the year of not just a global pandemic, but like, severe disruption, disorientation, and like I said, turmoil. 2020 has been wild, okay? I cannot think of a more appropriate time for us as the people of God to cry out to him through prayer and fasting. That's why we've kind of, that's why we're, we're finishing up this series on prayer and going straight into a series on fasting. God, teach us to pray and teach us to fast. We need you. We'll talk more about this in the weeks to come, but I wanted to put that on your radar. Now today, like I said, we're wrapping up our series, Teach Us to Pray. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11, okay? So if you have a Bible nearby, go ahead and grab that. Flip to Luke chapter 11. While you're doing that, maybe you could uh, join me in prayer for our time, will you? Father, we come to you now <clears throat> recognizing that you are present with us. Spirit, you are present in us. And God, we want you um, to have your way in this time. I'm asking you now, God, to, to use me to help serve and bless uh, my friends, my brothers and sisters tuning into this. I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish. You drawing each of us closer to you in prayer. So again, I want to continue to ask the same request that we have for seven weeks now, Lord. Please teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. We need you. Help us. Amen. Okay, so 
Luke chapter 11. Now, in Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer, remember, it's in Matthew chapter 6, and it's also in Luke chapter 11. In Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus does here is he ends his teaching on prayer with a parable. And what a parable is, it's a story. What, what, what parable literally means is it means something laid alongside. So it's the idea of using a narrative, using a story to compare and contrast a reality. In this case, Jesus is trying to teach us. Okay? Parables were Jesus' primary tool to teach because there's something about a narrative. There's something about a story that draws us as human beings in and helps reinforce the truth within the story at a deeper level, at a deeper heart level, at a deeper soul level. Okay? That's what Jesus is doing here, and he's using this parable. It's used to teach the listener a lesson. Let's see what Jesus has to say, okay? Luke chapter 11, starting there in verse one. He, Jesus, was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John, talking about John the Baptist, also taught his disciples. And then Jesus said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone in, our, in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. And here comes the parable. Here we go. Verse 5. He, Jesus, said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, Lend me three loaves of bread, because another friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. Verse 7. Then he will answer from inside and say, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend... Yet, because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, let's just take a moment. I want to summarize this parable, okay, really quickly. What Jesus does here is he lays out this hypothetical scenario. Okay, he basically says like you, the listener, you have this friend and he shows up at your house. He arrives at your house at midnight in the middle of the night after a long journey. Now, here's what you need to know. I have to contextualize this. Jesus is telling this story to real people. Okay, this is an account of Jesus telling this, this parable to real people. And the people that he would have been sharing this story to would have been people that are, that are living in a Middle Eastern culture 2,000 years ago. Okay, here's what you need to know. In Middle Eastern culture... Hospitality, 
the idea of, of, of taking care of the outsider, inviting in the stranger, of, of, of caring for them practically with your house, with your, with your resources, all those kinds of things. Hospitality was hugely important, okay? There was a massive value placed on hospitality in Middle Eastern culture 2,000 year ago, years ago. William Barclay, regarding this, he says this, quote, travelers often journeyed late in the evening to avoid the heat of the midday sun. So they're at night to get out of the sun as they travel, right? In Jesus' story, just such a traveler had arrived towards midnight at his friend's house. In the Middle East, hospitality is a sacred duty. It was not enough to set before a visitor a bare sufficiency. The guest had to be confronted with an ample abundance. The late arrival of the traveler confronted the householder with an embarrassing situation. He could not fulfill the sacred obligations of hospitality, friends. Hospitality in this culture was a really big deal. And Jesus says, imagine, okay? <clears throat> imagine your friend shows up and you don't have anything to provide him, anything to offer him. Now, keep in mind, this is 2,000 years ago. You're not gonna be able to just hit up the late night Taco Bell drive-through, okay? Meals needed to be prepared. Bread in this case, a staple at, a, at the table in this culture needed to be prepared. Ingredients gathered, prepped, prepped, baked, the whole thing, right? It needed time. So, Jesus he poses this hypothetical story with you at the center saying, your friend comes so you, there, and you have nothing to offer them so that you go to then a neighbor's house. You go to this neighbor's house to ask to borrow bread from your neighbor for your friend. You knock on the door. It's midnight. Like, put yourself in this, in this story for just a second. That's what Jesus is trying to get at here. Put yourself in the story. You ever got to knock on your door at midnight? If you have, you know how jarring that is. Okay? <clears throat> Not fun. Now, keep something else in mind. The, the typical kind of Palestinian home 2,000 years ago, the time of Jesus, would have been very small. Okay? Like one room, and typically those one rooms would have had a stove somewhere kind of in the center of that room. And what you have is you have a small home with a big family. Okay, families were not, you know, four people like they are typically today. What is it, like 2.4 kids is the average, um, you know, the household is two adults and 2.4 kids. Very different 2,000 years ago. So small home, big family, and the entire family would have slept like together near each other right around the stove in the center of that room, in the center of the house, to keep warm, right? Makes sense. So keep that in mind. This request, this knocking on the door at midnight, this would have woken up the entire family. This would have been severely disruptive to their evening, okay? To their night, to their sleep. So in this story, what does the neighbor do? You, you knock on his door and the neighbor's like, what are you doing? Like, if you have kids, you know, like you do not ever want the kids to wake up. The, the neighbor is like, hey, my family's asleep. Don't bother me. The door's closed. Go away. I'm not giving you anything. Okay? And then what does Jesus say? He touches on this. He says, the relationship between the man and his neighbor, it isn't enough. It isn't enough for the neighbor to get up and give this man some bread. But... The shameless boldness, Jesus says, of being persistent with the request, it will. So here's what I want to do. That's your parable. Here's what I want to do. 
I want to point out a few things that this parable teaches us about prayer, and these are important. Okay? So the first thing is this, if you're taking notes. The first thing, going to God for our needs, going to Him for our needs is an act of faith. Now, think back to the parable here. Who did the man in this story go to to meet the need? His neighbor, right? He placed his faith, his trust, that's what faith is, it's trust. He placed his faith in his neighbor to meet his need. Listen, faith is the cornerstone of Christianity, my friend. Like we said, faith is trust. It's trusting in something. So faith isn't something you conjure up, it's something that you place in something else, right? It's sort of like, like a seatbelt, right? Uh, faith is not just like, oh, I believe that seatbelts exist, or I believe, I acknowledge that seatbelts are safe for people and they're good. So putting your faith in a seatbelt is actually putting it on. It, requ- it, it requires action. The, the act of putting on the seatbelt is the act of putting your faith in the seatbelt because it's more than just acknowledging that the seatbelt's there or acknowledging that the seatbelt's good or that it can protect you. Faith in the seatbelt is demonstrated by putting the seatbelt on. Faith is trust. It's something that you put into something else, okay? And listen, what determines a Christian from a non-Christian is one thing and one thing alone. It's not how many Bible verses you have memorized. It's not how long you've been in the church. It's not anything other than one thing, where you place your faith, what or whom your trust is in. That's That's the only thing that determines a Christian from a non-Christian. Nothing else. Okay, that's it. The only thing, hear me say this, the only thing that saves a person is faith in Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, trusting in that and that alone. So, you need to know that your actions, my actions, the things that we do, our deeds... They reveal what we actually trust in, what we actually have placed our faith in. It's like putting on the seatbelt. I can say that my faith is in the seatbelt all day long, but if it's not latched over my lap, I really don't. So listen to me. Why am I saying this to you? Because you need to hear me say this. Whenever you go to God in prayer, it's an act of faith. It's an act of trusting in Him. Listen, don't minimize this. This is, this is important. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Whenever you go to God to meet your needs, guys, guess where you're placing your faith? You're placing it in Him. You're trusting in Him by going to Him. It's action. You're going to Him in prayer to meet your needs, okay? And the Christian life is oriented around putting your faith, which is trust, in God above all else. So, take a moment, just kind of self-evaluation time. Examine your prayer life. What's it like? What's your prayer life like? Because listen, a, a life that lacks prayer is a life that lacks faith. But going to God in prayer for your needs is an act of faith just like putting on a seatbelt. Okay, the next thing that I wanted to point out here is that persistence in prayer 
is also an act of faith. Look back at verse uh, 9 here. Jesus says this, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. He says, ask, seek, and knock. Now, what's interesting here is that those three words are present imperatives, okay? R.K. Hughes, Bible theologian, says this about this idea of ask, seek, and knock here in this passage. He says this, quote, The stacking of these words is extremely forceful, and the fact that they are present imperatives gives them even more punch. The text actually reads something like this, Keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. The man in this picture just will not stop knocking." End quote. Guys, it's this idea of persistence. Like keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep engaging, right? What does this mean? This means you keep going to God. You keep turning to Him. You keep putting your trust in Him. He is the source that you go to. Or to put it another way, you don't shift your trust. You don't, you, don't, you don't put your trust here in one moment and then shift it and put it over here in another moment. Like, we see this happen all the time in our culture with one specific thing. And what is that? It's money. All the time in American culture, Western culture. People what? They want more money, okay? They want more money, not for the money itself, not for the money itself, but for what the money provides. You see, what money enables us to do is it enables us to take control. Like, I want that. And I want it right now. And if I go to money, money says yes. Money enables me to do it when I, money enables me to do what I want when I want it. Money says yes. And listen, there are plenty of things that we can turn to or go to as people for our wants and for our needs. Money is just one example, but here's what I wanna do. Because it's such a pervasive thing in our culture, I just wanna take a moment, I wanna contrast money with God for just a moment, okay? Like I mentioned before, with money, the answer is always yes. As long as it's there, like as long as there's enough, right? I want that, it costs X amount of dollars, I have an X amount of dollars, money enables me to get what I want when I want it. The answer with money is always yes, if it's there. Listen, God doesn't work that way. And what does that do? I think that frustrates us. I think it frustrates us because here's why. We fail to see the danger in the answer always being yes. I mean, think about it for a second. Imagine if the only answer that I ever gave to my children was yes. I have two daughters, Amelia and Vivian. I love them. But imagine for a second, if the only answer that daddy ever gave them was yes. Dad, I want ice cream. Yes. For every meal. Yes. Dad, I, I don't want to clean my room. I want to watch TV. Yes. All day. Yes. Like, <laughs> Dad, I want my way. Yes. Like, just think about it for a second. Think about how dangerous it would get as they got older. As they started to like get closer, as they started, as their age started to climb, how dangerous would it get? Like imagine their wants progress and develop over time 
right? Their, their fleshly desires intensify. Friends, people love turning to money. They love turning to money because the answer is always yes. Now listen, we are not a people who is anti-money in any way, shape, or form, okay? Jesus said that the root of all evil is the love of money, not money itself. We're not anti-money. But do you see how, because money, the answer is always yes with money, do you see how dangerous that can be? Going to God is different. The answer may not always be yes, but you need to understand that God always gives an answer. Friend, did you know that there's no such thing as unanswered prayer? I'm going to say that again. There is no such thing as unanswered prayer. Because what? Prayer is engaging with God. Okay? And when you engage with God, specifically even when you go to God with a request, right? you want something from Him, He always gives one of three answers. Every single time. Yes, no, or not yet. It's going to be one of those three every single time you go to him. There's no such thing as unanswered prayer. Like, I've heard it said a hundred times. Like, people will say things like, man, I've been praying. Like, I've been praying a lot, and God hasn't answered my prayers. And what they really mean is that God hasn't said yes. Okay? But listen to me. God isn't like money. He, he's not a genie. He's a father. His answer isn't always yes, but listen to me. His answer is always loving. William Barclay says this quote, If we do not receive what we pray for, it is not because God grudgingly refuses to give it, but because he has some better thing for us. There is no such thing as unanswered prayer. The answer given may not be the answer we desired or expected, but even when it is a refusal, it is the answer of the love and the wisdom of God. Friends, his answer isn't always yes, but his answer is always loving. God is a father, and it's impossible for a loving dad to always say yes. Why? Because parents know things that children don't. Like eating ice cream for every meal is going to end poorly. But Jesus says, keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And this is not, what Jesus is saying here is it's not like a magic wand spell thing to get what you want. Okay, it's not a formula. It's a promise. It's a promise from God himself that he is always available and he will always answer. Friends, you need to know, God's answer is always loving. I mean, think about it, right? Yes, no, or not yet. If the answer is yes, that means it's a personalized gift from God, from your Heavenly Father for you, okay? Uh, I remember when we were moving to Temecula, to the Temecula Valley from San Diego, uh, about three years ago. We had spent five years down in San Diego planting two different churches with some incredible people. Our family of churches restored uptown, restored South Bay, people that we just adore and love dearly, okay? And when we were in the process of moving here to Temecula, uh, we were trying to find a place to live, okay? 
And I, we rem- I remember driving in the car, me and Ebony, um, and I think the girls were with my folks. I think it was just the two of us. We're driving around the valley in different areas, specifically parts of Temecula. And there was one specific neighborhood that we were driving in. And we were like, man, this is such a centrally located, like this, this neighborhood is so centrally located, it would be perfect for us. Because again, when, we're, when you're planning a church, most of the ministry we were doing was out of our home in the beginning, and um, a lot of it still is. But there was this specific neighborhood, and we're driving down the street, and I remember we were praying together. We're like, God, like, will you please provide a house in this neighborhood because of all the, you know, it's so strategically located and central and all that kind of stuff. Would you provide a house for us um, in this neighborhood? The house that we live in today is literally on that street that we were driving down as we were praying, okay? When God says yes, his answer is always loving, but when he says yes, it's this personalized gift to a child of God. In this case, it was us. It's beautiful. God's answer to prayer is always loving. If it's no, okay, it basically means two things. First and foremost, he is protecting you from things that you don't see or that you don't understand, okay? Like ice cream for every meal. It's not good for you, okay? He's protecting you. Now, the other thing that you need to know about how God's answer is loving if it's no is that every single no that comes from God is yes to something else. Every single no means a yes to something else. Um, again, rewind back a few years as we were praying through. We knew, me and Eb, we knew that God was stirring our hearts for a new assignment, another church plant. And at first we were like, okay, I have a heart for the nations. We both do. We thought, okay, this is for sure going to be an international plant. Uh, we love the nations. We want to see every single tribe, every single tongue, every nation come to Jesus. And there's a couple different cities we were praying through, and God said no. So we thought, okay, it's going to be back in the States. Um, I love New York City. I think New York, there's an energy and like a thing about New York. It's like no other place in the world, okay? Love New York City. Uh, frankly, strategically thinking, like the whole world seems to be downstream from New York City. So it's like strategically, if you take New York City, you take the world, right? <clears throat> so we're praying God send us to New York City. God said no. And in the process of all that, God made it abundantly clear. No to international, no to New York City, but that meant that there was a yes, because on the other side of that no, there was a yes. It means yes to something else, and that yes was to the Temecula Valley. And friends, there is no other place in the whole world that we would rather be. We love these people. We love you watching this. We love the valley. God brought us here. He said yes to Temecula. He said no to these other things. Not only was he protecting us, but ultimately he had something else for us and that something else was, oh, so much better. We're so grateful and thankful. God's answer is always loving and prayer. If it's yes, it's always in loving and prayer. If it's no, if he's protecting you or if the other side of that no is a yes. And the third thing, if it's a not yet, it's equally as loving. Because a not yet, what a not yet references is basically like, hey, the timing's not right. There's something wrong with the timing. And most of the time when God gives you an answer that is not yet, most of the time it has something to do with protecting you or protecting other people. One of the things that I didn't mention when I said the, that the house that we live in right now <clears throat> is that the street, it lives on, is on the street that we were praying down. Like we're driving down that street praying, asking for a house in the neighborhood we live there. What I didn't tell you was that when we were moving back, or because we came from this, if you didn't know, we, we, we grew up in the Temecula Valley and like I said, San Diego, and then came back. 
when we were moving back to Temecula, we tried to rent over 20 houses. And by tried, I mean we applied, okay? Paid the fee to run your credit, filled out the application, checked out the house, the whole thing. And it was like denial after denial after denial. And it started to get really disheartening, like really disheartening. It got to the point where we had to be out of our house in San Diego. And all of our stuff was in like a pod in storage. We're living out of a suitcase. My parents took us in. Thankfully, they were so hospitable to us, but it was like us in a room. And it was, you know, it was tough. And we're going like, God, where are you? And three, almost four weeks went by. We still don't have a place. And then we get the call. We got the rental house. And that rental house that we got is the house that we live in now that was on the exact street that we were praying for. Okay, when God says not yet, it has everything to do with timing. It has everything to do with protecting you or protecting other people. What was God gonna do? If he wanted to answer our prayer to live in that neighborhood as we're driving down that street that we now live on, is he gonna kick somebody out of a house? Is, that, is he gonna make a family homeless so that we can have our prayer answered yes in the timing that we wanted? No. But the answer was not yet. And on the other side of that not yet was a beautiful personalized yes. You with me? It's important. You need to know that God's answer is always loving if it's yes, it's always loving if it's no, and it's always loving if it's not yet. <clears throat> it's a personalized gift. It's beautiful. Listen, one more thing. If my eight-year-old daughter, okay, if she asks to borrow the car, the answer isn't no. The answer is not yet. Why? <clears throat> because it's to protect her and to protect other people if she gets behind the wheel, okay? God's answers, he always answers and his answers are always loving. Now, <clears throat> listen, you might be thinking, listen, if, if the answer is gonna be no or the answer is gonna be not yet, why is Jesus putting so much emphasis on persistence in prayer, okay? Like, if the answer is no or not yet, why should I keep asking? Why should I keep seeking? Why should I keep knocking? I have at least two reasons for you quickly, okay? The first one is this, it's simple, the yes factor. God could say yes. And there's implications and the ripple effects of if he says yes. The, uh, the book of James in the New Testament says this. It says, you don't have because you don't ask. Okay? Friends, God is a father who enjoys giving personalized gifts to his kids. Jesus is clear with this parable. God's not like that neighbor. God's a father. He's the best father who loves giving personalized gifts to his kids, and he, he invites us to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking, okay? And the second thing, the second thing of like, why, you know, why should we keep asking? Why should we keep seeking? Why should we keep knocking? The answer is gonna be no or not yet. Second thing, persistence in asking, seeking, and knocking is not about wearing God down to like unlock the yes. Okay, it's not like, you know, like a lumberjack will, you know, take an ax to a tree. And it's like, okay, after so many, after so many ax blows, like after so many strikes of the tree, eventually the tree is going to fall. That's not what Jesus is getting at here. He's not saying, keep asking, wear God down, keep seeking, keep knocking. That's not what he's saying. Okay, persistence in asking, seeking, and knocking is not about wearing God down to unlock the yes. It's about being faithful to he who is faithful to you. It's about looking to him continuously instead of turning to something else. Persistence in asking, seeking, and knocking is about remaining faithful to God. 
the one who is always faithful to you. He's the source we turn to. And the final thing for today, Jesus is teaching on prayer. It starts with Father and it ends with Father. It starts the, the Lord's Prayer, right? He says, when the disciples ask him, teach us to pray, the Lord, he says, pray this way. And he says, our Father in heaven. Right? He starts with this. We, we relate to God as Father. We're adopted, beloved, chosen children. He says, know who God is and know who you are. That's where he starts with this fatherly relationship. And then what does he do? He ends the Lord's Prayer with a parable where he does what? He contrasts that neighbor who isn't willing with a heavenly Father who is. He says, how much more does the perfect Father desire to give personalized gifts to his kids? Not just like material gifts, although he loves to do that. Not just spiritual gifts even, although he loves to do that. But hear me say this, the greatest gift of all himself. Look back at what it says quickly. Verse 13, Jesus speaking, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. It's this picture of God giving God. God giving himself to those who want him. This, my friends, brings us full circle. Full circle on what prayer even is. We said this from the beginning. Prayer is engaging with him. It's engaging with God Almighty all the time with persistence, with boldness, with knowing who you are and knowing whose you are. It's his door we keep knocking on. It's him that we keep seeking. It's him that we keep asking. It's faithfulness to the one who is always faithful to us, no matter how many times we mess up, no matter how many times we turn to other things, no matter how many times we reject him, no matter how many times we sin against him and disobey him, the faithful invitation remains, come to me. Come to me. Keep coming to me. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep coming to me. Faithful invitation remains. My friend, what's it going to be for you? What's your life going to look like? Will your daily life be a life that's marked by prayer, by asking, by seeking, by knocking, with persistence continuously, with engaging with your heavenly Father all the time? Or, or will you be a person who turns to something else? Flavor of the week, the next enticing thing, the thing that might get you your way when you want it. Will, be, will you be a man or a woman whose, mark, whose life is marked by engaging with him, turning to him, or will you choose something else? Will you be someone who knocks on another door? Listen, here's my loving pastoral challenge to you, and it's a challenge to me as well. I'm including myself. The challenge is this. I challenge you to slowly, 
slowly work through the Lord's Prayer every day. Each line, okay, move through each line. Work through it, because listen to me. The Lord's Prayer, each line of it, it is an infinitely brilliant roadmap on how to properly engage with God. It is, is divine instruction on how to maintain faith in Him, not something else, to maintain it with Him. Trust is in Him and Him alone. And it's a gracious invitation to a life of what? Of closeness with Him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. We are your beloved kids, and there's, there's nobody like you. No one even comes close. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we want, we want your rule, we want your reign, we want your way here and now on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. God, we ask, continue to provide for us. Continue to provide what we need. Our physical needs, our emotional needs, our practical needs. And forgive us of our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. God, let us be people who pursue the giving and receiving of grace. If one thing is going to mark us, as a people, as a church, let it be grace, receiving it from you and extending it to others. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, protect us from believing lies, from things that are untrue from the enemy, and from missing out on the joy of our salvation. God, you're inviting us to pray. You're inviting us to live a life unbroken fellowship with you. So Father, would you please teach us how to live this way? Empower us, Holy Spirit. Make our church a praying people who look to you at all times for all things. We desperately need you. And we're grateful that you've made yourself available and that you do it time and time again. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Friends, thanks for joining us with this series, Teach Us to Pray. Cannot encourage you enough to join us next week when we start the new series on the rewards of fasting. Uh, until then, grace and peace to you. Know that I love you dearly, and we'll see you soon.